he who angers you conquers you. So do we want to have personal power and control over our own emotions, or do we want to let other people in other circumstances control us? Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. Hey, if you or someone you love is going through tough times, maybe deep waters, you're in the right place. Today we're going to talk about reclaiming sanity, hope, healing for trauma, stress, and overwhelming life events. Scattered words and empty thoughts seem to pour from my heart. I've never felt so torn before. Seems I don't know where to start. But it's now that I feel you graceful like rain. From every fingertip Washing away my pain As I still believe And you're Welcome in, everyone, to Life, Love, and Family. Hi, I'm Dr. Tim Clinton, president of the American Association of Christian Counselors and your host. And no doubt life can be tough, real tough. In a lot of ways, I think the pace, the pressure, the pain of modern-day life has taken over for most. We're just trying to often get by, looking for hope and direction in life. Well, if you're in that kind of a spot today, we've got a great program for you. Our special guest is Dr. Laurel Shaler. She's a licensed clinical social worker and a nationally certified counselor. She's the online chair of the Department of Counselor Education and Family Studies at Liberty University. And she's the author of a brand new work called Reclaiming Sanity, Hope and Healing for Trauma, Stress, and Overwhelming Life Events. She has a personal story, and she gets what it means to break free from life's most difficult trying moments. Laura, welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. You have an interesting uh, professional background. You uh, work a lot, or you have worked with veterans, and people have come through some pretty tough times. You mind sharing a little bit about where God's led you in your professional career? So I have a background of working with veterans through, through the Department of Veterans Affairs, as a social worker and counselor, and I spent a lot of time working with men and women who had experienced trauma, both from combat, and naturally we we would expect that from veterans, but also from lots of other difficult life experiences, from sexual trauma, abuse, car accidents, unexpected deaths of loved ones, and a whole host of other traumatic and stressful life events. Yeah, and I think out of maybe a personal journey, I guess, do you mind taking us back to your own personal walk and where this sort of began to come together for you. When I was 18 years old, I was astonished to find out that I had a 14-pound tumor, and it was really surprising. I've had lots of people question that through the years, and they've wondered, how did anybody know this? And it was actually an ovarian cyst, and I've had folks say to me, oh, that's like having a baby. And I'm like, no, that's like having twins, 14 (laughs) pounds, if you can even imagine having that. I can't imagine, 14 pounds? 
14 pounds. 18 years old. I'll never forget. Yes, sir. 18. And the doctor looked at me and said, if you don't have this removed, you will die. And that was a really pivotal moment in my life to realize that I was really on the cusp of life or death. And um, I thank God for intervening and for sending the right medical providers to take care of me during that time. But it it wasn't easy um, experiencing that life and death moment and even trying to recover from that wasn't easy. And it led me down this path, um, discovering what it meant to struggle after something traumatic, to find healing after something traumatic, and with a desire to help other people do the same. Laura, we all go through hard times. Everybody has the blues every now and then, and life can be pretty frustrating, even more than that, disappointing. But the overwhelming factor, that takes us into another level of discussion. You used the word trauma briefly. Can you talk to us about life events and when the trouble really starts to mount up and we're worry, we're filled with worry, maybe we're angry, we're overwhelmed with sorrow, maybe we feel guilty, maybe we're not sleeping well, etc. I mean, take us into that world. Speak to um, those who are listening out there who may be in that kind of a spot. That's part of what we wanted to look at through this book is it is about trauma, but it's, there are also other events that we experience in life that maybe wouldn't classify as quote-unquote trauma, but they have a real significant impact on our lives. And as a result of that experience, maybe we develop post-traumatic stress disorder, or maybe we don't, but we're still experiencing that excessive worry, those sleepless nights, the trouble managing anger, the relationship problems, even negative thoughts and beliefs such as I can't trust people anymore or I'm not safe. Some folks will experience a development of post-traumatic stress disorder, but that's actually fairly rare. Only about 10% of those who experience trauma meet that specific diagnostic criteria. But those other 90% of people still oftentimes suffer and struggle. And so I think sometimes that gets overlooked. It's like there's this hidden epidemic of the impact of trauma. So I write about a lot of that in Reclaiming Sanity, about what trauma is and what it isn't and what PTSD looks like and what other emotional and mental effects that trauma and stress and overwhelming life events can have on people. How do I know when I'm in trouble? When do the alarms go off? When do the signs become so overwhelming that something's got to be done? You know, one of the things back from my own experience is I didn't realize that I was struggling as a result of this life-changing event. And so I kind of worked through it on my own and tried to navigate it on my own. And looking back, I can now see some of the signs and symptoms that I would want other people to look for. And so some of those might be if you're finding that you're spending a a good bit of time feeling afraid or excessively worried, and maybe along with the emotional worry, you're starting to have some physical symptoms of worry. Maybe you're finding that your heart starts racing a lot or you're frequently feeling sick to your stomach. Maybe you find that you're on edge. You're always looking around you, or maybe you're just having trouble managing your emotions. Maybe you're crying a lot or you're finding that you're yelling at people more than you normally would. Anything that you're finding is not you, when you just don't feel like you, then that's a time when you can stop for a moment and think, maybe I can find someone to help me kind of reclaim myself. 
So those are some of the signs and symptoms I would encourage folks to look for. And we've heard many people discuss trauma. You've mentioned PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. We'll talk about acute stress disorder as a part of this conversation, but start taking us into an understanding of those issues and whether or not they pertain to me, say, as a listener. I've been through a hard time. Things are difficult for us. I am overwhelmed. I am short. I am remembering things from my past that I haven't gotten through, et cetera. How or what do I need to do or what do I need to understand? One of the things that I share about in the book is that there comes a point when we have to realize that what I am doing now isn't changing things. So if I think I can just avoid it and it will go away, well, if it's not going away, then you probably need some more help. And sometimes there are things that you can do on your own, um, such as working through a workbook or a self-help book. Maybe you're in a Bible study and you're journaling and you're maybe talking to a pastor or a trusted friend. And there are other times that you find that you need a mental health professional. Maybe you're wondering, do I have post-traumatic stress disorder? Well, that takes a qualified mental health professional to diagnose. That would be a time when you really need to go and meet with someone who can do a proper screening and determine, is this a diagnosis that you're facing? And thank God there is great evidence-based treatment that licensed professional counselors can provide for that. You know, they say when you experience trauma, and by the way, you said only about 10% of people really meet that diagnostic classification that they've had uh, or developing PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Right. Help us understand that even more. Laura, when does that pertain to me? Because we get it when it relates to, say, veterans coming back from the war and what they've experienced over there. But everyday life experiences move me into that category too? I think, yes, in particular, if they're ongoing, If you've been somebody who's experienced domestic violence, if you've experienced an assault or rape, if you've gone through an abortion, if you've been in a house fire, a car accident, if you've been involved in any type of natural disaster, these situations that you might be thinking you should be over by now can actually trigger post-traumatic stress disorder. So if you're wondering about some of the criteria, I would look for, am I trying to avoid people or places or reminders of that event? Do I find that I have negative thoughts? So I'm thinking things like things are never going to get better for me, or I'm always going to feel bad. If you're finding that you're having trouble sleeping, that you're having nightmares about the event, maybe you wake up during the day and you feel like you're reliving that bad event that you went through. These can all be symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. So that would be a time when you might need to consider whether or not you need to go and get a little bit more help. The um, journey toward freedom. A lot of people get overwhelmed here and they begin stressing and thinking they're not going to break free. You know what? The, The waves continue to come toward me. How do we begin to settle it down? Can you tell us a little bit about, Laura, how you help women who are overwhelmed by their past slow this down and begin to move in more of a healing direction. What does that look like? How do we begin? Well, I would say that it begins with a recognition that somebody is struggling, but also the reminder that there is hope and healing available. And that hope and healing comes from Jesus Christ. And He gives us lots of great information about how we can cope with these problems. And so a part of Reclaiming Sanity talks about 
how we can use the Word of God, the Bible, to help us cope, while also giving practical clinical tips that I used when I was a therapist. And so part of what I help women look at is how they can conquer those intense emotions, how they can know who they really are through the Word of God, how they can forgive others and maybe forgive themselves, how they can rebuild the relationships that have been broken as a result of trauma, how they can deal with a tough past, and how they can start to solve the problems that they've been experiencing and really learn to reimagine what life can look like if they're free of these chains that are keeping them tied down. Our special guest today is Dr. Laurel Shaler. She's she's the author of a new book called Reclaiming Sanity, Hope and Healing for Trauma, Stress, and Overwhelming Life Events. Laura, you talk a lot about emotions. Emotions begin to just take over, whether it's anger or the worry. I'll just call it the fear factor. I think a lot of that contributes to those sleepless nights that people journey through. With the I guess maybe the lack of control, the sense that we can't seemingly get things under control, we begin to get really troubled in our spirit. Let's deal with a couple of these emotions, if you don't mind, Laurel. Let's talk about anger. What do I do with my anger? I'm frustrated. You know, I've always believed that anger was really a God-given emotion to respond to a real or perceived wrongdoing or injustice in my life. Okay, if I feel wronged or life's uh, it's not the way it's supposed to be, it's natural, I guess, to get angry. But anger can course through my veins like chaos. It consumes you, doesn't it? Right, absolutely. And I think that's a really excellent point, that it's not that anger itself is bad or wrong. We know that there are examples of righteous anger throughout the words of Scripture. And there are times that we're rightfully angry. Um, If somebody is is abusing us or someone we love, we should be angry. That is righteous, justified anger, something that would make God angry as well. But even if we have a right to be angry, we have to look at what it does for us. What does it produce in us? Does it lead to aggressiveness? Does it lead to us getting into verbal squalls with everyone we meet? Does it leave us in problematic relationships? What does it do for us? How does it benefit us? Sometimes we can recognize anger as a warning sign that we need to make a change, and that's good. Maybe that we need to address something, and that that can be good. But other times it just leaves us feeling really awful, and it doesn't serve to help us in any way. So I talk pretty extensively in Reclaiming Sanity about anger. It's one of the things when I was working for the Department of Veterans Affairs, I worked with a lot of folks who struggled with anger, and I facilitated a lot of anger management groups, and I saw some really negative consequences of anger. I worked with folks who were hospitalized because they would get into road rage incidences. I had one that was arrested and accused of attempted murder. I had folks that had the FBI showing up at their door because they just let their anger get out of control. They made lots of threats towards other people, and it was just really tough thing to deal with. And one of the things we talked about is how we can take control of our anger, how we can take authority of our anger so that we don't allow it to control us. There's an old proverb that says, he who angers you conquers you. So do we want to have personal power and control over our own emotions, or do we want to let other people in other circumstances control us? Do you think some people, Laurel, have learned the power of anger too? 
it sort of courses through their veins. They begin to see a response from their anger. Some people start liking being grouchy. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think you're right. I think sometimes people find that they get what they want They more. control people with it. Yes. Yeah. And there are a lot of myths. People think that, well, anger is healthy, healthy, or I can't help it if other people make me mad. That's something that I really have worked with a lot of folks on is ultimately our emotional responses are, are our responsibility. So even if it's natural and normal for us to be angry, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to insist that someone else made us feel this way? Or can we recognize that they triggered our emotion, but ultimately we have control over our own emotion? And so often we have displaced anger. So we might be kind of, it's bubbling under the surface, this anger, because of something that happened to us in the past. And then a child or a husband or somebody says the wrong thing to us and we lash out at them. Really, we're not really angry with them, but yet they're taking the brunt of our aggressiveness because of something that hasn't been dealt with from our past. People just don't realize anger is so dangerous because while it may seemingly give you some control, it drives everybody in your life away from you. That anger, what it does is it drives people away from you, which only kind of insidiously creates even more frustration and a lack of control. How do you speak into the lives of those who really battle with this sort of season of anger that they've gotten into? How do they get control? How do they slow it down? How do they stop it? I think it has to start with recognizing the truth instead of the myth. Instead of, for example, believing the myth that I can't help it if other people make me mad, start reminding ourselves that we have to take responsibility for our own emotions. Instead of being aggressive, we can learn how to be assertive. We can choose to tell people how we're feeling about their behaviors and how it impacts us. And we can even suggest a new behavior. I want to make it clear here that I'm not saying that if if somebody is, is being abusive to you, that just asking them to stop is going to be enough. You have to get to a safe place and there are resources to help you with that. But again, typically this has to do with that displaced anger. So I'm feeling angry because of things that have happened in my life and I'm taking this anger out on the grocery store clerk or on my child or parent or spouse instead of really dealing with it appropriately. And ultimately, learning what our activators are, what is triggering our anger and what are we thinking about those activators because we can start to replace those unhealthy thoughts with more truthful, healthy, helpful thoughts that will usually result in improved feelings. We won't find that we're feeling so angry. And we can really take authority over our own anger by establishing goals and action plans and just establishing our steps for how we're going to work through this problematic emotion and behavior. Some have described depression as anger turn inward. What are your thoughts on that? Have you seen any of that? Well, I think that in some cases that that's true when we're angry with ourselves and we have guilt and we have shame that it causes us to feel depressed um, because we just feel so bad about ourselves and about and about life. But shame tells us that we are bad. You know, guilt sometimes is a natural result of something. If we have done something wrong, we might feel like I've done something wrong. But shame tells us that we are bad people to our core, and Christ wants to free us from that shame. He tells us that he will forgive us, 
So if he can forgive us and if he can remove our transgressions as far as the east is from the west, then there comes a point when maybe we can say, hey, I can forgive myself too. I don't have to hold on to this shame and this anger towards myself. I can release that. I can forgive myself as as Christ has forgiven me. Well, let's talk also about get this sort of the fight or flight response here. The fight, I'll I'll, I'll put that in the anger category. The flight response uh, is more of the fear, anxious side. Can also be very strong. Tell us a little bit about helping people manage that side of the equation too. Uh, most people are terrified, and they're just waiting for the proverbial next kind of shoe to fall, and it's right. That's not a fun place to be. This kind of hypervigilance where you're just waiting for something else to happen, you're constantly looking around you, you just are have an exaggerated startle response, you feel like you just can't concentrate on anything. It's like your body is just in a perpetual state of, I have to prepare to either fight back or to run, or even sometimes we just freeze up and we don't know what to do. And that chronic state is can certainly be a part of post-traumatic stress disorder after we've experienced something really tough in our lives. It's no fun to be in. And there are some evidence-based therapies. You know, as, as professional counselors, we want to talk about a wide variety of treatment options. And part of what I go through in Reclaiming Sanity is the various evidence-based therapies. And what that means for your listeners is that there's treatment available that research shows, hey, this can help you. Cognitive processing therapy and prolonged exposure are two forms of therapy that can help those that are struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. And the good news is that we can always integrate faith into treatment. We can integrate the Christian faith. We can look at what the Word of God says we can look at how we can utilize prayer in our relationship with the Lord and our fellowship with the church and with other believers, even as we work on our treatment through evidence-based therapies. Can you talk to us about breaking free? I mean, what was it like for you on, on a personal level? You were an 18-year-old girl. You're on a journey, and now you spend your life helping people do this. Where's the aha? There it is. That's my first step. That's where I need to go. Yeah. I truly believe that our hope and healing comes through Jesus, but I also know that there are many Christians who struggle with seeking outside help because they believe that if I'm struggling, that means I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm not reading the Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. And if I just went to church more, then I would feel better. And the reality is that Christians do struggle, and that struggling or suffering doesn't mean that you're a quote-unquote bad Christian. It doesn't mean that your faith is weak or small. It doesn't mean that at all. As you just noted, God has provided people that we can turn to for help. So when I went through my experience, I didn't really know what was going on. And there were times that I thought I was going crazy. And that really resonated with me when I had women later, years later, come to my own office and ask me the same question about themselves. Am I going crazy? And so I could tell them, no, you're not going crazy. You've been through something really tough, something really challenging, but there is hope and healing available. And it starts with Jesus Christ, and we use Him as our source of strength. He tells us, in this world, we'll have trouble, but take heart. He has overcome the world, and we can as well. So it starts with Him. And then we look at what other resources has He brought into our lives that we can utilize, social support groups psychotherapy and professional counselors, and even self-help resources like Reclaiming Sanity that can just introduce us to what it looks like to begin to break free from these past 
experiences of trauma, stress, and overwhelming life events. Talk to us about the significance of rebuilding relationships, of helping in the midst of it to begin to feel safe, to clear up that battlefield for the mind. Really, relationships can suffer as a result of trauma. I've worked with lots of couples who have um, had problems as a result of one partner's past. So it is something that we need to be aware of. And I do devote a chapter to how folks can rebuild relationships. And also I devote a chapter to how you can help someone in your life who is struggling. Because oftentimes the problem is if I'm the one that has not experienced trauma, then I don't know what to do for this other person in my life who is suffering. I don't know how to help them. I don't know what they want from me. And so I walk through some of those exercises because relationship is so important. It's important that we all know we're not alone. No two experiences are identical, but there are other people that have faced something similar and who are suffering in a similar way. So if we can just know this idea of universality where I'm not the only one that's going through this, there are others that are facing this, then that can often just offer us some relief and it gives us someone that we can even just lament with and compare notes with and, you know, trade tips with. And just knowing that we're not alone, we don't have to experience that burden of loneliness can really um, provide us an emotional relief. Throughout the entire program, you keep referencing your relationship with God and how important um, your faith is in this journey. Speak to our listeners who may be going through deep waters right now. Yes, I just want to share about the peace that comes through Jesus, because peace is the antithesis to worry. And Ephesians 2, 14 through 17 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Jesus is our peace. We're designed to have peace, to be at peace, to spread peace, because Jesus didn't just talk about peace, but his very essence and character is peace. And while reading scripture and praying for peace doesn't necessarily lead to peace, we can begin to meditate on these words and use these as our foundation for moving towards reclaiming our sanity. I once was lost, but God has found me. I was bound up in sin. I'm free as Been made righteous in His sight. The display of His splendor all can see. I once was lost, but God has found me. I was bound, I've been set free I've been made a righteous in His sight A display of His splendor all can see Our special guest again today has been Dr. Laurel Shaler. We're talking about reclaiming sanity, feeling overwhelmed with life. God, are you in the midst of it? He is in the midst of it. 
Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is nigh unto those who have a broken heart. You may not see him, you may not feel him, but he's there. If we can be of help to you, call us toll free, 855-455-3264, or visit us at lifeloveandfamily.net. I can't wait to see and to hear about what God's doing in your life. Life, Love, and Family. Women in Depression, get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women addicted to alcohol or drugs, get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women with anxiety or eating disorders, trauma, and PTSD, get confidential help. Timberline Knowles Residential Treatment Center, 1-877-257-9612 or timberlineknowles.com.